Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Benjamin Moore and Sherwin-Williams. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. This is the 2024 Game Plan Panel of Champions. Super excited to have this group of all-stars here. Right now, we have, uh, we start with Chris Elliott because he's my favorite. So Chris Elliott, owner of Onnit Painting out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Then we go alphabetical after that because that's a politically uh, correct and strategic way to do it. We have Corey Leister, owner of Inspired by You Coatings out of Pennsylvania. We have Jason Paris, partner of Paris Painting and Olive Holdings. Jason Phillips, owner of Phillips Home Improvements. And then Juan Vasquez is going to likely be joining us. Maggie Kuiper was supposed to join us. Unfortunately, is unable to make it. And then Will Reyes, we'll see if we let him in when he does come. Uh, right now, he wants to pay us something with a credit card, so we're kind of trying to get that worked out. And then after we get his money, we'll let him in. So welcome. What's going on, guys? Thanks for joining us. We are going to quickly have you guys go around, introduce yourself, start with my favorite, Mr. Elliott. Again, thank you for pointing that out. And uh, yeah, so Chris Elliott, uh, owner and president of Onnit Painting. Uh, we are headquartered out of Indianapolis, and we focus on residential and commercial uh, painting services. Awesome. Corey? Corey Leister from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, and we specialize in cabinet refinishing. Very cool. Jason? No, sorry. Mr. Paris? Totally Jason Paris, Flyover Country, Paris Painting, Olive Holdings, PCA. Excellent. Alpha move. And then Jason Phillips. Hey, Jason here from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, my company is Phillips Home Improvements and Contractor Freedom. Good to be here today. Very cool. So we are going to put up a link. Guys, we actually just put a comment in there. Painter Crew did. If you can just click that streamer.com forward slash Facebook, that actually allows us to know who you are when you input a comment. If you happen to zone out and we get to your question later, then you hear your name, you're more likely to actually get the answer to your question. Uh, it also makes it a lot more personable. So when you put that in, we can address you directly. Otherwise, we just see Facebook user on our end. So heads up, we are going to be covering in this session, very timely and actionable things. Very excited that you guys made it, what you can expect for 2024 from a macroeconomic perspective uh, and what you can do to plan to, to really take advantage of the, of the economy and everything else right now for your painting company. We had set this for an hour and a half in traditional brand and fashion. I changed it about a day or two ago, emailed everyone, said, hey, let's make it two hours. Uh, I think most people are going to be able to stay. If you can't stay for two hours, we're going to record it. So you'll be able to make up those last 30 minutes. No worries. 
All right, we have a rough outline here. If you guys have questions, this is your opportunity to ask questions. This is meant to be interactive. It's a panel, it's a forum. It's not just us talking at you. So if you have questions, make sure you ask the questions. But we are going to start with kind of what's everybody on everybody's mind, what to expect for 2024 economy uh, and its impact on the painting industry. I'm going to open it up. You guys can uh, kind of go. I'd love to hear from all of you if you want, but whoever's kind of wants to dive in first, go ahead. Jason Phillips, we'll just put you on the spot. Well, in our, in our segment, the economy has less of an impact than maybe in commercial or new construction. And in our, we kind of live in a bubble in Dallas, Fort Worth, and we're, we're not as impacted by the economy. However, saying that uh, doesn't mean we're not impacted. And I look at it this way, we're gonna find a way to succeed in any economy because there's still, there's still uh, rain, weather, foundation movement, <clears throat> making caulk pull out, paint peel, wood rot, things go bad, things get spilled, people need us. And if there is a, uh, if, if, the, if there's less fish biting, that just means I've got to have better bait during that time. I love it. Mr. Paris? What was the question? It's 2024 economy predictions and what impact do you think, if any, it will have on the painting industry? Um, predictions would be, I don't know, because nobody knows. Honest. So stupid question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Two minutes. I, say, I mean, similar to Phillips, who cares? So again, bad question. Uh, but also, I think in the last 24 hours, the Fed came out announcing three interest rate cuts coming in next year. So yeah, there's a lot of mixed signals in the economy right now right? Consumer spending looks like it's a, uh, you know, more than a soft landing, like it's a boom. Commodity prices make you think there's a recession com coming, but then we hit an all-time high today on uh, on stocks. So it's like, oh, it's a boom economy, uh, but then interest rates are super high. She's like, oh, it's a recession, but then unemployment is low. I think it's, oh, it's a boom economy. So no, it's like a very odd time and nobody knows. I mean, people have been saying since 2018, we're coming in for a hard landing. Nobody has any idea. I do know that the Fed has committed to cutting interest rates three times in 2024. They did that in the last 24 hours and that there's huge pent up demand in the housing market for just transactions to happen because interest rates have been so high over the last two years. So uh, with a lot of uncertainty, you do know that there will be a lot more liquidity in housing transactions uh, over the next 24 months or 12 months. Um, and that would only benefit what we're doing, but I don't know. It's a stupid question. I'm trying trying to make, you know, a sandwich with uh, with poor groceries. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do the best I can. You know, well, it's, it's not good enough. So, yeah, Lim limited capacity <laughs> on my end. I do appreciate your patience uh, and your support. Thank you, Mr. Paris. Corey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, with the cabinet refinishing industry, we saw a little bit of a dip this year uh, as far as leads go. Um, but at the same time. Um, it, like Jason said, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, like Mr. Paris said, there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. But as Jason said, um, <laughs> we just pivot and and we we make it work no matter what happens. I think that that's part of being an entrepreneur. It's not like um, you know having that focus so much on the economy that you're uh, 
you're just, you're trapped. Um, I feel like as entrepreneurs, we, we adjust and we change and we, we make it happen um, despite the circumstances. And we, you know, we just find a way to win. So that's kind of where we're at. I love that. And then last and favorite, favoritist, Mr. Elliot. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. I'm going to echo what Jason, Mr. Uh, Paris and, and Corey have shared. So again, like as far as prediction, I mean, at least what I've read, what I've heard, what I've discussed has been, it's going to look very similar to 2023 more than likely as Mr. Paris pointed out. Uh, I do think that interest rates are going to drop and it should be, uh, uh, invigorate the real estate market a little bit. Um, I feel like, I, like personally, I re I refinanced into a 2.25 uh, two years ago. Um, and so there's a lot of, yeah. So there's a lot of people who got really great mortgage rates and they just don't want to, they don't want to uh, move. And so I think if the mortgage rates drop, I think it'll definitely uh, get the uh, real estate market moving. So, which would be great. Um, but I think in, in, Jason pointed this out, like for most of us, uh, like our goal is a thousand residential projects a year. Like I struggle to believe that even in a down economy that with a great plan that we can't get our thousand projects a year. Um, that's a small percentage of the market share. Um, so, uh, I think with, and again, like great plan, great tracking, uh, the, uh, the mindset and flexibility to pivot and the tracking your numbers and your metrics and see how you're performing small experience uh, experiments, seeing, seeing the result and then making the adjustments. I, I just feel like for most of us, uh, the economy on a national or uh, worldwide scale is just really not going to overly impact this. Love it. So the, uh, for a couple of you guys have introduced yourselves. If you're watching, if you could just, List your uh, painting company name, maybe your name, where you're listening from. We would love to talk with you directly. We have Sheen, too, maybe from the PCM. What's going on, Sheen? Excited you could join us. So, Jason, Mr. Excuse me, Mr. Paris had a couple, couple interesting things, some conflicting signals. One thing I'm pretty interested in is your guys' perspective on, okay, painting is a want versus a need. On the one hand, we have pent-up demand for housing. Mortgage rates are through the roof. No one wants an 8% mortgage rate. Right. And then so when those decline, people who have been wanting to move are going to be more likely to sell their house because now they can actually afford to buy another. One. The on the other side is uh, everything I'm hearing is, is people are holding their money a little bit tighter. The sales cycle has gotten a little bit longer because painting is not, you know, hey, you need to replace a roof because the insurance company is making you. Or, hey, you have an emergency plumbing issue. You can't really afford to wait on that. Or you're in Florida or Texas, like where Jason is and, and your HVAC system isn't working. You're probably going to need AC. That's really more of a, a need than a want. How do you guys feel about that? This idea of painting being a want potentially more susceptible or more at risk of a downturn economy for that reason. I'm not going to disagree with what you said, Brandon. I, I also feel that if in, in a market like, like ours, we're just a, a small piece of the market share, as Chris mm -hmm. had mentioned about his. And there's always going to be enough people, more than enough people in my market to sustain my growth and it really is going to come down to in, at least in in our market it's going to come down to to us you know executing executing our business plan and if we just do what we've always done we're probably going to get worse results next year and that's why every year we want to come up with a we want to be better and have a better plan each each coming year 
Anyone else have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree. I think because it is a want and not a need, um, I think the cream is going to rise to the crop. I think a lot of people are going to, um, it, it could hurt the industry, uh, you know, but I think too, um, just focusing on what we can control and differentiating ourselves and, and what makes us special and what makes people attract to our business and, uh, and just putting out great quality and serving people at the highest level. I think then, um, you know, when people, uh, even, even if not as many people, um, want, uh, their house painted or, or want their cabinets refinished, uh, then those people who are doing it well, um, and who are serving their customers well, I think they're going to survive. All right. Brandon, can I say something? Um, Go ahead. You know, I've been doing this for a while. I went through Y2K. Anybody remember Y2K? Okay, 1999, 2000. How about the banking crisis of 2008? <coughs> and look, either you're going to make a decision that your business is going to thrive or you're, or you're just going to float down the river like a dead fish. Right. And I like, like Mr. Paris mentioned, you know, if, if we, if we just start thinking about the economy, we're just going to, it's going to become a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because there's always something to bellyache about. So let's quit bellyaching. And like Corey said, you know, what can we control? We, there's so much in our control it is up to us to make our companies thrive in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, that's one point I was going to make is like, if we all probably plan on doing this for 25, 30 years, even if there's an exit, I'm assuming you'll do some other business. Like we're going to go through cycles and um, to survive. It's all, I think it really comes down to belief, right? It's like, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe in the service I'm offering. I think we can provide a great service, a great quality. And if that belief is strong enough and you're uh, proactive in your planning and your strategy and you're measuring, I think that you can you can work through anything. The other, the, I mean, one lesson COVID taught me is like not to have an emotional response over these things. I mean, for, for us, again, like the on a macro level, the, the U.S. economy, like I think matters less. Like we need to be probably paying more attention to the behaviors of our customers because like whether it's real or not, how they're going to behave a certain way because of their perception and their belief system. So, you know, pay attention, make adjustments, measure what matters and pivot and, and overcome. And, uh, to, to, but to answer your question directly, I think obviously buying behaviors will change, especially between discretionary, discretionary and non-discretionary services. So uh, emergency services obviously are not going to be impacted uh, from a, a, a down economy. If someone's AC system goes out or HVAC system goes out, they're going to repair it. If someone's car breaks down, they're going to repair it. Uh, ours becomes more discretionary, but then you, that's where strategy comes in. Is like maybe if someone's going to be spending less money, doing less things, spending more time on the inside of the house, maybe prioritize advertising your interior painting surfaces and enhancing uh, a space that someone's going to spend more time in. Um, so I think that, yes, it matters, but can we can we have effective strategies to overcome? A hundred percent. So Will Reyes did join us. He He paid the credit card fee that we requested of him. Only person to pay to be on the panel. Will Battleborn Painting, Reno, Nevada. Can you quickly 
introduce yourself, your company. Welcome, man. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Will Reyes, Reno, Nevada. Nevada, not Nevada. Another Mr. Paris here, man. Just got uh, two hecklers now. We, uh, I don't pronounce words correctly. This has already been publicly addressed. Apologies. I must have missed that first uh, clarification there. No, it wasn't today. It was good to call it out today. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Will Ray is Bottomore Painting, Reno, Nevada. We are a, a painting outfit here in the north. Uh, over here in the North Sierras, or excuse me, Northern Nevada in the Sierras area. And we do, uh, you know, we specialize in painting exteriors. Um, uh, four coatings. Uh, we're a gutter company as well, and then uh, we started a uh, nano coating company here um, about a month ago. So that's what we did. Super cool. Yeah, I, I first listened to Will present uh, Jason Phillips Contractor Freedom Summit not long ago. It was really, really interesting. His journey, the uh, product diversification, kind of how that all came to be, and how he thinks about it. So, so super cool. I, I, I do want to point out. I made a sacrifice. Uh, for the group here. So I trimmed my beard yesterday because we are, I already knew there'd be a conflict between the two Jasons. I didn't want everyone confusing Will and I uh, because of our size and stature and beards and bald heads. So um, yeah, yeah. Just, wanted, are, just uh, wanted that. To make things more confusing. Just want that sacrifice noted. Yeah, thank you, Chris. You're a, a true hero and a patriot, sir. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. All right. So as we talk about 2024, I agree. I think that that entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs, have a tendency to project, right, whatever the current problem is, concern into the future and, and make it a bigger deal than maybe it ultimately is. No given year, no given event uh, determines your success. Your success, it is a long-term game. Entrepreneurship is a long-term game. COVID was a scary thing and then it ended up making the industry uh, boom. But as we look at 2024, as Corey said, uh, the cream is going to rise to the top. You know, ultimately, it is probably going to be good for the industry. Tough times uh, kind of shake out the chuck in a truck a little bit. And, and I just, there's no guarantee of a tough time. That's maybe well, a, this year has been back. a little bit tougher than last year. Next year, next year could be much easier. I think. Yeah, I think that's based on if you are certain it's a tough year. Go go buy a futures option on the S and P 500. That's like this premise of everyone in Europe. Next year is going to be terrible. It could be, but I've been hearing that that some people have been clanging that bell since 2018. That's true. And it's been, you know, this year you have a headwind in some ways, you know, higher cost of acquisition, but a tailwind when it comes to labor, right? So you're able to just, it costs more to, your cost on margin is harder to manage, right? To acquire a dollar of margin profit was harder this year, but it was much easier to produce the work profitably be able to push labor down right so we've yet to have like this real challenging economy like 2008 i think was the last time it was actually scary uh i don't know what y2k is that was probably in diapers uh but this premise of next year is going to be terrible it could be and this would be the first time in six years that the, the fear mongers have been right yeah but if so it's kind of like the cream could actually fall to the not the cream will always rise to the crop so Corey's right Corey is like the wisest person on here because she, she could say something that's going to be true but it is it, it could it could be easier next year and so that's like uh there's like this false fearmonger presence that i just want to call out like the fed literally announced like it's not a prediction it's an announcement that they're going to cut interest rates three times next year right that will have an effect 
Now there are other things that could have an effect to the point where I'm, I'm not going into the casino that is the S and P 500 and buying a call option for six months from now, because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. So maybe I'm pushing back on the premise, Brandon, uh, as like an economist, uh, cause we get too certain that's going to be tough next year. True. We just don't know. I, th I think there could be things that are easier some things that are tougher. Uh, hopefully it doesn't screw up the whole panel. Cause I, I love to no, live I in that reality great. where I could say like, for sure. <laughs> I love to live in that reality where I'm like, Oh, it's a recession next year, guys. I know it for certain, but then I would challenge myself and say, well, if you know it's for certain, why, why aren't you putting your money where your mouth is? Yeah. Let, let's, um, Jason, I don't want to create distraction from all the smart stuff. Mr. Paris just said, but Jason, I, I hope you weren't in diapers 23 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I had a very rough time. I wasn't going to let that slide. Well, thanks for bringing up this trauma. You want to process through this live? Yeah, we can. 15 year old. I had a very rough childhood. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. So, I mean, uh, we don't have to talk about let's it. Let's approach this from a slightly different perspective then. We don't know what 2024 is going to, to hold in store. If it is a downturn of some kind, then obviously, as, as Jason Phillips said, what you've done now, if you do the exact same thing, it may not be as effective. If it's not a downturn, great. It's still going to be better if you improve your business. You're still going to do better. So let's say a downturn happens. How do you win in a downturn? What's important to do? Well, I think I think despite the economy, like no matter what happens, uh, something that's been ingrained in me since I was little is winners find a way and losers will make excuses. And that's just plain and simple. Like you can make excuses about anything, like no matter what it is, uh, you know, I'm too old, I'm too young, I, I'm too rich, I'm too poor, like no matter what it is, you can make excuses, but winners will always find a way no matter what the circumstance. So like, it's, it's really the, the economy should be pretty much irrelevant. Like you can, you can figure it out and you can find a way. I love it. There is a comment here. It's the one comment that Mag Maggie gave me. Uh, Maggie Kuiper, owner of Harpeth Painting. She's not going to make it. Who? Maggie. So she was supposed to be on the panel. She's not going to make it. She said, owning a business is hard work. We'll put this in the comment section as well. I just want to make sure her input is heard. Owning a business is hard work. Keep your shoulders up. Get a good team behind you. Either cheerleaders, support staff, professional consultants, employees, et cetera, and bootstrap. So again, similar to, to the concepts that you're hearing now uh, from everyone on the panel, which is it's it's your world. It's your business. It's your, it's your success. And don't make excuses essentially. Uh, Will, I think you had, had a comment here. Uh, I mean, I think I'm with everybody on here, you know, especially the Jasons. They're of the school of, you know, it's best to be, you know, prepare for the worst and hope for the best kind of situation. So, you know, I know us, us on our end, we've made our preparations to go into a situation of if it gets like we could do this and if this happens, this is what, what we're going to be doing. But we always have a positive outlook. So whenever, you know, I'm with Jason Paris, when someone's like, oh, next economy is going to be a downturn. I've been hearing that since 1999, that every year is going to be the worst. And you always hear something different. You know, COVID happened. And then that was like, you know, our best years ever. So like when COVID was supposed to wipe us all out, that's when we all, you know, excelled. So it's really just about being prepared uh, for the worst and being prepared to do what you absolutely need to do to make sure you, you're still around. Um, who knows what's going to happen in the future? You know, like, you know, what was the set 275 basis points is going to drop for next year. Cool. And then everyone thinks, well, that's going to spur this and that's going to spur that. Well, that'd be great too. But if it doesn't, you better have a plan and action 
for when it doesn't go that well. And so was, I think it's, it's like Corey said, if you, if you're ready, you know, if you, if you're always ready, then you never have to get ready. But if you're, you know, you're reactive as a proactive, then you're going to find yourself in a sticky situation. And, you know, we've seen plenty of painting companies in the area I'm at go away in the last couple of years because they weren't ready. You know, whether it be uh, financially, whether it be they didn't have enough help, they couldn't handle the workload, they just went away. And, you know, new companies sprout up, take their positions. And a lot of these guys, and I'm sure you guys have them in your area just like I do, aren't prepared to run a business like a business is supposed to be ran. And they'll come and go and we'll still be around as long as, we, you know, you have your plan, plan set up for yourselves. I love it, guys. We are um, as a thank you to everyone who's comments. So we have, we have at least ninety people watching right now. Appreciate you guys making the time. Painter Marketing Pros is willing to give you a complete twenty twenty four marketing roadmap. So we're going to put a link up there. Uh, if you book a strategy session for us with twenty twenty four, we have a, a complete marketing roadmap over ten pages of content, most holistic thing we've ever put together aside from the books. So check that out. We'll put a link there. Um, Moving on. So 2024 economy, we're unsure. I really like Will's thoughts there. Hope for the best, plan for the worst. We should be versatile, able to adapt as entrepreneurs. Um, again, staying on this topic, I know we don't know for sure what's going to happen, but are certain painting companies, let's say, again, focus on the possibility of a downturn. I still want to, want to address this. Will certain painting companies likely be more affected than others in terms of rural versus maybe Metro or very ultra high end versus middle of the road versus budget. How do you guys see that playing out in all spheres of the industry? Chris Elliott. Yeah. I mean, when you asked the question, my uh, first thought was like new construction would be a space I'd be concerned to be in from a repaint standpoint. Um, I, I don't see it being overly impactful. Interesting. So new construction, bad in a downturn, res repaints, kind of all, all, uh, I guess, areas of the market, high end, low end, you think those will be okay? Yeah, with, with the right plan and execution, I believe so. Anyone else have thoughts here? No. I just, uh, <laughs> you know, like a downturn, like, is this, what does that mean to you? Because that can mean a lot of things. So the, I guess, an economic drawback, right? So commodities continue to rise. The housing market, that pent up demand does not get released, right? So the, the three interest rate cuts that are projected or have been announced within the last 24 hours, maybe they materialize or they don't materialize, but the intended effect uh, isn't produced. Right? So ultimately a, a, uh, a lesser demand for sure. painting companies. That's essentially what I'm referring to as sure. a downturn. Sure. I think it's, so like the affluent market is always a lagger in that effect, right? Mm -hmm. So those that are like hand to mouth, you feel that right away. People that are more like equity minded or there's generational wealth, it takes like six to 12 months to kind of have those downstream effects. So that's going to be safer. I think that's pretty obvious. That's not a prediction. That's more observational. And I think it's uh, one of the things I like to think about is like, what would a lazy person do, Right. And that is what most of the kind this is what most of uh, painting companies are going to do because most painting companies are, they're not actually entrepreneurs, what I call a wantrepreneur and they're very lazy and they're not good at solving problems because entrepreneurs are what they're gritty and good at problem solving, right? 
So everybody who's watching this, obviously that's you. You're a real entrepreneur, not talking about you. Uh, entrepreneurs are gritty. They're good at problem solving. But what are all the entrepreneurs going to do when the economy softens? Right. Well, I, I'll tell you what I've always, always seen them do is complain and say it's impossible to find good people. Oh, it's impossible to find good people. Right. My network, my network and cousins don't want to work for me anymore. Right. Now, now there's a headwind. So it's like, oh, it's impossible to find leads. It's impossible. Nobody wants Man, to Jason, you're hitting home. You're hitting, yeah. you're I'm just coming, just coming in hard. So, but what do the, <laughs> what, what, what would I do if I were lazy? That's right. right. First, I just, I hope the problem solve itself, right? My network, my word of mouth, my reputation, just the leads just come to me. That's probably the laziest thing I could do. The second laziest thing I could do is say, who can I give money? That's just going to solve this problem right away. If I give you money, I don't have to put effort or thought or strategy or uh, ongoing tactics or like good content or good social proof, right? Or analyze them. Like, who can I just pay? That's that's the lead aggregators. So my prediction is if there continues to be a headwind with consumer demand in 2024, is you will see a skyrocket of the lead aggregation, right? Or like organic uh, or, or, or non-organic SEO, right? So, so that's like, and, and what's going to happen is all the lazy entrepreneurs are going to go there. They're going to flock there. It's going to drive up the price, the cost on margin. And suddenly you get kind of what you deserve, which is no profits, but all the liabilities and risk, right? And all the profits are going into the people are saying, I'll help you fill the gaps because you're not actually an entrepreneur, right? This is like the predatory, predatory marketing companies. Those marketing companies. No, I'm just kidding, Brandon. Brandon is actually. Hey, hold, hold on, uh, Mr. Paris. I got to remove you real fast. Yeah, I'm guilty on your end. Muted there for a second. No, this is this is just what I think will happen. In Twenty. If there if there is a headwind, is the people there's going to be service companies that will solve the problems for the entrepreneurs at a big markup. So there are very and they're already operating a low profit because they don't like accountability. That's why they can't work for anybody. That's part of the reason, right? So they don't have accountability in their own business. There's not good profit margins. But they do carry all the risk and liability. You roll that dice over and over again. Eventually, you go out of business. So that'd be like the prediction if there continues to be a headwind. Now it could turn into a tailwind, right? That's kind of the thing of, and and there is like this is me playing contrarian, and I'll stop ranting so I stop monopolizing this thing. Uh, but there is an oppor real opportunity cost to planning too conservatively, and I've seen that since 2018. People come in 20 say, you know, what? it's 2018. It's been 10 years since the last recession. We're due for a cycle. Look at these charts. I'm going to stash the cash and be conservative. Like, cool, you did that and you missed out on a lot of opportunity. Right? You actually lost $200,000 of opportunity cost and profit because you plan to be too conservative. Right? And there is, you can, get your, you can get over your skis. You can overcommit to the overhead and not realize the revenue. So you have to make the calls. And then what's the cost on culture for that? But I just want to call out that as we look into 2024, there is, for like a mature business, there's an opportunity cost to playing too conservative. I want to be careful of that. Yeah, I love that. I think the opportunity cost is overlooked by so many entrepreneurs. You know, they, they're just looking directly at what, what they did, what happened, what didn't happen from that. There is the possibility of being taken advantage of <clears throat> that either don't know what you're doing, don't have your best interest in mind, over-promising, under-delivering, whatever that is. Uh, but opportunity cost is also a real thing. I hear from these painting companies, you know, in some of these Facebook groups, uh, I, I haven't spent a, a dollar on marketing or sales or advertising in 20 plus years. Don't give them a, a cent. You'll waste. Well, how, how much farther could you be if you weren't, you know, part of my French and idiot? 
Right. I've, I've got a good friend of mine who would say, we're entering 2024 with a CrossFit methodology. Work as hard and efficiently as possible and trust our efforts will result in continued incremental improvements. We'll adjust to economic factors, scale some of our efforts as needed, but ultimately come out the end of the year as fit as we've ever been. I wouldn't say CrossFit does that. Yeah, I wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> or well, he, would. he would. Yeah, your friend. I, I said my friend says this. Yeah, yeah, yeah your friend. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Ferris, you were you were quick to back up on that one. Maybe I just need to get like a hundred pounds heavier with muscle, and maybe stop pushing me around too. Uh, it depends what your definition of fit is. Yeah. <laughs> and historically, we could go through that. I mean, if we want to deep dive about it, that's another that's another podcast. I think. Yeah, I I would just say Phillips was kind of cheering me on, so I appreciate that. Thanks for cheering me on, Phillips. He does that a lot when I get on my rants. I've done podcasts with him, and he. Most podcasts are like, oh, somehow you got muted. I don't know how that happened. Uh, Jason cheers me on, so I appreciate that. I was just over here taking notes. Yeah. You know, one uh, of the things, guys, that, that I mean, I, I agree 100% with Paris. You know, when leads are down, <clears throat> the easy, the lazy thing to do, and maybe it's not always the lazy thing. It's maybe because you don't know what to do, but you start – shelling out that credit card to the lead aggregators and all they're doing is building their name between you and your audience. And that is, that is hurtful to you. And what we should be doing is spending time developing the relationship directly with our audience and try to keep all these middlemen out of there. Yeah. Middlemen are the worst. I just, they make me sick. I get so mad every time I see him. And uh, I'm just kidding, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, no, I, was that, to, I was trying Brandon, to time in. But but again, but Jason, when when Brandon <clears throat> when Brandon or or another marketing company is is marketing in your name, they're not they're they're just they're a, they're coming alongside, not necessarily getting in between, like the lead aggregators though. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's like a there's like a, a way to think through this is if is your middleman siphoning away all your profit? and solving the problem of you not being an entrepreneur or are you leveraging their unique specialization to scale beyond your own abilities? Right. Cause that's what, I mean, businesses ultimately we're all middlemen, right? That is like target is not out there, you know, putting children in slave camps to make their shirts. They're outsourcing that to China. Right. And it's like, no one is doing the entire, entire like beginning to end cycle on their own. Right, Sherwin is not making their own paint pails, cans, whatever they are. That's made somewhere else. They're not mining the materials. They're buying the materials from somebody else. Then they're doing a value add composition. They're probably paying someone to do a fair amount of the shipping here and there. And ultimately they have this storefront, right? And that's, that's kind of like, there is a difference. And I think that's where you have to be a sophisticated entrepreneur, sophisticated business owner. And those who are sophisticated always do better than those who are not in every industry and in every economy where you say, is this solution a middleman that is siphoning away my profit and I'm left holding the bag when it comes to risk and liability? Or is this a middleman that's helping me leverage their specialization and allowing me to scale beyond my independent abilities, right? That's what ultimately limits most businesses is the bandwidth and capacity of whoever's at the top. Right, a, typically a founder. Yeah, so following up on both of Jason's comments, anytime there's an easy button 
in this case, the easy button being referred to as the lead aggregators, but there's also uh, smart campaigns with Google ads. There's boosted posts with Facebook ads. Anytime anyone can do it, say, hey, all you got to do is boom, put your credit card in and hit the button. It is a failure. It is not something you should do. It's something that's designed to take your money. The, the easy button does not work because everybody in the world can do it and everybody in the world is not succeeding. So if you want to succeed beyond the average person, you can't do what the average person is doing. In terms of a, a marketing agency or really any vendor, any relationship you have from that perspective, it is the same or very similar to an employee. Would you hire a marketing employee, a head of marketing, someone to run that for you and pay them to do it as, your, as a specialty? Probably. A lot of you guys use subcontractors. Does it not count or are they robbing you because they're not employees? So thinking about business from that perspective, from the stakeholders and the relationships like Jason Paris is talking, uh, is really helpful. And then I would also say, but don't always test it, right? That's yeah. something our, our marketing guy always tests it because then enough people listen to this webinar thing, whatever, right? And like, oh, I heard I shouldn't run to lead aggregators. So now no one's running to lead aggregators and suddenly mm -hmm. it's a sneaky thing. Right? It's kind of like everyone was like, paper's dead, move to digital, right? Enough people did that and then paper became the best, the highest ROI. Right. And then enough people said, oh, shoot, paper is a sneaky thing. And now everyone moves back to paper. I'm talking about like postcards, flyers. Right. And eventually that gets oversaturated. It's like, oh, no, no one's doing this. Yeah. And so the cheese is always moving. And so don't just take like this blanket. That's like I probably just a, a lesson here is the cheese is always moving. There's no easy answer. You have to be an entrepreneur and a business owner who's analyzing the results, you know, if not week after week, month after month. Yeah. Yeah. Be contra market. Don't just follow the market. And back to what uh, Jason Phillips was saying, he says essentially they're stealing your leads. Lead aggregators are doing the traditional marketing that you should be doing. That's how they get the leads. So they are doing SEO. So when you search for painting, painting company, they're the ones that are showing up at the top. If you run some searches in your area, you're going to see Angie. You're going to see uh, things like that, Thumbtack, because they're doing the work that you should be doing. Then they're taking the lead and then they're selling it to you. So if you were above them or near them, you wouldn't have had to buy it from them. You get the exact same lead. They're also running pay-per-click. I don't recommend you mute me when you want me to Brandon, because I get, I get pretty hyped about this stuff. That is not inherently bad. My prediction in 2024 is that the entrepreneurs, which is 99, 95% of the painting industry, because it's a low barrier to entry and there's no good companies to work for. So people who want to realize their managerial talent combined with their domain expertise in painting really don't have an option except to start their own business are going to flock to that because it's easy, which would reduce the return that you're going to see. That's my hypothesis. It's not inherently bad. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 go ahead, Corey. Brandon, um, I was one of those type of people who took a badge of honor for, you know, never having to pay for marketing or for advertising like we Corey, did. I was talking about everyone else when I said that. You, you no, 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 no. I, I, I learned. And that could only take me so, so far, you know, like, because we, we did do our business through word of mouth and we did it well, but. We, it, it could only take us so far and we had to expand and we had to, to broaden our horizons. And we had to learn how to track our marketing. Like that's something that um, Nate with Olive taught us so well is like tracking your marketing and, and like knowing, you know, when you need more leads, like you've got to be able to adjust it and not put all your eggs into one basket, not put it all into Facebook or not put it all into, you know, whatever you may be doing. Um, but having those multiple avenues and like finding the right fit for your business. Cause it's not going to be the same for everybody. Like what works for me and for our business isn't going to work for everybody, you know? So, so to tell you like, this is, you've got to do a, B and C 
it's just not going to work because you've got to figure out what is going to be best uh, for you and to, to enhance your business. And we've done like we've done the, you know, Angie's list and like those lead generators and it didn't work for us. You know, we've done like the, the Google, you know, we've done a lot of different things, but we had to find the right fit for our company and for our business to take us to the next level. And it's a process and it does take work. Um, but like you're saying, you know, if it, if it comes easy, like it, it, they saying it, it's too good to be true. It's because it's usually too good to be good, to be true. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some ads. I saw one recently and I'm not going to start ripping apart other, other marketing agencies, but I saw an ad recently. I was like, Oh my, Oh my God, that's incredible. How do they do that? And I dug into the point where I could figure out how they did it and it didn't make sense, but boy, did that offer look unbelievable. So yeah, if you see something that seems good, too good to be true than it, than it is. Um, I think there's something to be said about when you are doing your marketing, like Corey was talking about when you're, you know, because I was once just like Corey too, you know, we did our first, um, I think million on word of mouth, yep. just Sherwin leads, Kelly Moore leads, you know, I didn't spend a dollar in any of the other shit. And so you're like, you have this sense of pride of like, well, look what I did with nothing. And then you get into this position where you're like, well, in order to grow, there's has, something has to give. Right. And so I think to be said about that is, is like, well, there's the right growth too. You know, there's a guy that used to work for me that I helped start his own painting company. And he calls me, you know, periodically for advice. Um, and he's kind of one of these assholes, you know, he asks you for advice and then does the opposite or he knows more, which is understandable because <laughs> this is the guy I apprenticed under that taught me how to paint. And his answer was to buy a hundred five-star reviews, um, 150 five-star reviews, and then um, post uh, boost the post, 183 five-star reviews, and then it showed his Google page front, which to me just as a as a, as a, as a consumer, I would look at that and go, "This is the absolute worst thing I've ever witnessed in my planet." In, of, of advertising. So there is to be said something about like, sure, there's all these other ways, but then there's a way of doing it yourself. But if you are going to do it yourself, take some lessons, you know, pick up, you know, a book, um, take some courses online, find a mentor to help you with it because that's just as bad as throwing their money to an aggregator. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do it yourself, do it the right way. Don't just guess. And that's what a lot of companies, they boost posts. They say, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But at the end of the day, they, they have no idea what they're doing. So they're just wasting money. At least, I guess at least they're doing something. So this is kind of a next uh, natural step for us since we're talking about aggregators and other business acquisition methods. What channels do you guys foresee uh, in 2024 providing the best ROI for painting companies based on your experience? Jason Phillips, I know you, you've got a, a ton of different channels you're operating with. What are, what's working for you right now? What are you leaning into for next year? Well, everything uh, changes. What's hot today may not be hot tomorrow. And that's why we've got constantly got to be got to be watching it. And, you know, we we get a lot from our offline print, but it's not all the same. Some some print, for instance, you know, we may be in this, you know, a book or magazine or whatever. And we get great ROI. And this other one over here, which looks like it would be the exact same, gets a terrible ROI. And measuring those is, uh, you know, critical to to success. So, but year over year, the the very best leads that we get are the leads we already have. It is 
uh, re-engaging with our existing happy clients and even uh, re-engaging with the people who we gave a quote to, but they didn't purchase. Both of those are our very highest ROI. And then below that is, you know, fresh leads that we get from other spots. And then way down at the bottom is the lead aggregators. And we, and we uh, use the lead, some of the lead aggregators as well. Anyone else have thoughts here? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it's been touched on several times already, but I think this is, comes down to uh, understanding your business, understanding uh, the goals and objectives you have for, for the year, um, building the best marketing strategy you can for your business and for your budget, and then uh, measuring it and monitoring it. Like we, what we have found works for us. And then like, as, the, as it's been mentioned, we've had, we make adjustments, uh, I wouldn't even say every year more frequently that on than that just based on results but we have a very balanced approach so um digital marketing traditional print uh organic obviously uh as jason mentioned uh, previous customers re-engagement campaigns referral campaigns um we do uh yards yard sign deployment campaigns we do trade shows uh, and that's all on our residential side. On the commercial side, it's a, obviously a, a much different uh, strategy, much more relationship-based than um, marketing-driven. Um, but again, like it, it takes constant evaluation and and strategy and planning and and uh, pivots and adjustments, and and it's just like so. I think you know not to go backwards, but to like what Jason was saying is like you know, the sophisticated fares well than the unsophisticated, and that's true. Is like I think the bigger issues is like how do the the eighty five percent that find themselves stuck and and whether they're operating out of fear to use the lead generation, so the uh, whatever you know home advisors or whatever. Um, or uh, what's easy, you know, typically it's because they're in a position where they have to go what's what's quick and easy because, you know, they're still doing the thing. So I think it's in, the biggest issue I see is people don't look further enough ahead. They just start reacting and they're not, they really don't know where they want to take their company, what they want to be, who they want to be, uh, what, what an exit would look like, um, and then reverse engineering it backwards to today. And I think that's a bigger issue. So Chris, I know you and Jason Phillips, you both are very invested in this idea of diversification of your efforts because you know that certain channels go up, certain channels go down. So you want to have a lot of fishing lines in the water, uh, different different various ways of acquiring business. Mr. Paris, I know, I know you do something similar, but I'm interested in hearing from Mr. Paris, from Corey, from Will, your thoughts on this idea of diversification and maybe at what size or, or really from anyone for this second part, what size of a company you, you need to be to start doing this because you really only have so much of a marketing budget, especially when you're a smaller company. So diversification is the opposite of special specializing, right? And when, when is the right time to specialize? The right time to specialize is when you have more demand than you have capacity, right? If you have, if you have unused capacity, you know, you should be walking people's dogs for money, right? But until you have more of a demand to paint houses, you can't cut off those ancillary services. Right? And then you have more demand to paint just, you know, not just houses, but interiors. And they say, oh, I'm going to specialize in interiors. And now you have more demand to paint interior walls 
than you do to like enamel trim and everything, right? Then it's just like, I just want to do paint white walls. You get hyper-specialized. And why do you want to specialize? Defines efficiencies, right? Efficiencies in your process and your type of labor, right? Marketing, all those types of synergies. Why would you diversify, right? To, sh to shed risk. There can be synergies, right? So that's where you get, you can leverage the existing infrastructure, take advantage of a new venture. But as far as when, I mean, those are like, this is like the strategy part of these decisions because it's, I can't tell you like at 3 million, you should diversify into a different market, right? It starts <laughs> like, you have to think strategically because every environment, every every situation is a little bit different. But let's say- I had a conversation with Jason Phillips six years ago, five years ago. He was one of the very few people that I ask a question to and he answers it. Most people ask questions and I can tell pretty quick that they're- uh, not good at answering questions. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Phillips is actually pretty smart. He's really smart. I asked him uh, for some advice around diversifying. And do you remember what you told me? What would you tell somebody today? Number one piece of advice to diversify. Well, well, it depends on the exact, I mean, the exact question. Yeah. You know, it was centered your around. Your question wasn't about necessarily diversifying in yeah. general. It was about adding on a service. And you told me, don't take your management team off of off of home base you need a new quarterback i think you called it you said you need a new quarterback to start the new venture and that was some of the best advice that rings true today right don't don't lose track of home base right if you can put energy and inputs into home base and get a greater return never stop doing that unless it's a passion of yours or you have some kind of spiritual calling to do something else right and that's i think what we see far too often i'll speak for own observations and they even lived experience, you are getting a 5X return for every unit of input you put into home base. Boy, it sounds a lot of fun to do this other thing where I get two units of output. Well, that seems like you're losing three units, three output, three, three outputs. Like a new location in another city, Jason. That's a good, a good it's, example. It's fun to say. That's I would right. Say that. And that don't discount how fun it is to say things. That's one of the reasons why we live in this amazing industry is because it's not fun to go to the Christmas party and talk to your cousins and say that you're on a painting company. That's one of the reasons that we all do so well, right? So like, oh, it's just social pressure. Who cares about social pressure? Social pressure drives weird decisions, like wanting to be a pixel pusher instead of starting a painting company. It's like, well, one has a lot of opportunity. The other is pretty sad. It's like, yeah, but there's that social pressure involved. So that's part of what drives diversification in, in my observations. What do you think about diversification from a, a sense of marketing? So whether it's offline, online, you know, door hangers, what, what do you feel about that? Cause my, 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 um, question that was really good for the services. My question is really on, okay. If you're a, a company, let's say you're at 300,000, 500,000, your marketing budget's not going to kind of be that high. If you try to run pay-per-click and Facebook ads and do direct mail, you're just not going to have money to do that. You're probably going to fail at all of them and you might go bankrupt. So what do you feel about specializing? Like, let's say you just become the best at direct mail for your painting company and you go all in on that channel versus diversification. Hey, I want to do all these different methods for bringing in business. And how should a company be thinking about that as they get bigger? I got one a quick hit and I'll hand it off to somebody else. There's a difference between startup, scaling and sustainability. Hmm. And when you're looking to sustain, you don't want anything to be greater than 15%. I don't care if it's labor. I don't care if it's marketing. Yeah, that is a that is a risk factor for the longevity of your company. Now, when you're in startup mode and even high growth mode, 
It's like, let's go. <laughs> I don't care where the rocket fuel comes from. Uh, let's take off. And I think those are just different stages of a business life cycle, right? So it's like, I love to tell you, like, never have any labor source or any marketing source be greater than 15% of, of your inputs. And I think when you're in startup, it's just, you got to do what you got to do. But if you want to sustain, there's a difference. Uh, Jason Phillips. You know, I agree with what, I agree with what Paris said. The, if you try to do, if you try to get leads from too many channels at one time, you're not going to do well at any of them. And there's a risk if you get really good at one and you stick with that one forever because something can change. And I, I love to remind people of this uh, back in, again, I guess some of you guys were in diapers, but this still holds true. Back in the 90s, fax machine marketing was, was a real thing. And like today we get junk mail, junk email and junk mail in our box you used to get junk faxes all the time. And there were entire industries and companies that that was their single source of leads was faxes. Well, the FTC came out and outlawed uh, all these, this junk faxes marketing via fax machine and instantly companies went belly up. And Google changes their algorithm, Facebook changes their algorithm, Instagram changes their algorithm. And I even had one year, we, we spent thousands of dollars on magazines uh, and the magazines didn't get delivered. We got zero leads that entire month. And during that time, that was a significant portion of our marketing mix because this was in our early years. And I learned a lesson the hard way. So. I think as you, as you grow your company, uh, get good at certain channels, but be thinking, okay, we're, we've got this channel. Where's an additional channel that we can get some good leads and good business from and slowly start adding those on so that you are slowly diversifying, not quickly diversifying. That would be my recommendation. Yeah. I'm in complete agreement with that. I think it's the same thing. Um, like within your business as well. Like we specialize in cabinet refinishing. And I think that there's something to be said about specializing and like knowing what you're doing and knowing how to do it well and at a high level. Um, but then there's also, there, there's a lot of money on the table. So like picking up, like we do countertops and we do backsplash and we do interior painting and we do floors. And we, we started to di diversify as well um, because there's so much money on the table um, but our bread and butter and like our main focus is cabinet refinishing and just being able to offer all of our customers, all of those other services. And the same thing with marketing, like knowing, um, what works and how to do it well, but also kind of keeping, uh, your, your eye open for other opportunities. But is the camera working? But like Corey, like which, what exactly what you're saying, I agree. You know, Jason said certain other diverse, certain uh, expansions of offerings can synergize. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing cabinets, why not do, why not do the countertops as well? You're solving. What is the, 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 the customer, so many of your customers, they don't just want their cabinets refinished. They want a new kitchen, right? right. You're yep. solving a, a big problem for them. Yeah. And I, and if you can do that, it's, it's the countertop. Yeah. It's a different tradesperson. Okay. Yeah. But it's the same business process, the same sales process, same client. It's those, the, to me, those synergize. 
Yeah, it synergizes and it makes a ton of money. I mean, like the countertops are super easy for us. Like, had we known about that at the earlier stages, like we have, we have a, a countertop person who works just with contractors. Chad just goes in, does a rough measurement, sends it over and they give us an estimate. And we can, we can usually make about 30 to 35% on countertops for very little work. So it just makes sense to find those opportunities where we can create that. It's, it's pretty much passive income that's coming into our business. Yeah. And Corey, one thing I, I do want to add on here for people listening is you've done a phenomenal job of having essentially a flagship offering. So you're known for your cabinetry and then essentially this other stuff you're talking about. You might not be as actively marketing it, but you're basically having the ability to cross sell because yep. you now have trust with your client base. They 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 like you. It's it's tangential related services. So, hey, can you do this? You've you were basically leaving money on the table because you didn't have to compete for those those services. They were yours if you offered them. So I just want to make sure people are recognizing. Unless I'm wrong on that, but I think no, no, that's correct. We don't. I always start from a premise that Brandon is wrong. Like they're they're just offered like when. This is why I wasn't sure if Mr. Paris was a good fit for this panel. But I also start from a premise that usually Corey is right, so now I'm conflicted. <laughs> Nothing to be conflicted about. No, you're 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 doubly. I would correct. also say, like Brandon, you say you're leaving money on the table. Like, why not start a lawn mowing company and just mow all of your clients' lawns? Like you're leaving money on the table. There's like this idea that this is America. It's a great point. Not Canada. This is America. America is the land of opportunity. And if you're an entrepreneur, you're somewhat intelligent. There's an infinite amount of ways to make money. And ultimately you find what are you passionate about? That's going to drive what you're really good at. And that's, that, that's like a good lens to start honing in on. Like, why am I not doing radon mitigation for all of my clients? Why am I not, not doing like, selling them gumball machines to put in their front entryway. I'm already in the house. I might as well put on a, a roof. You're leaving money on the table if you don't, right? So it's kind of like, what are you passionate about? What synergizes well? Because uh, there's also like, there's there's opportunity cost. Uh, there's, and then what do you want your company to ultimately be? Um, there's a lot of factors going to that. You want to start with the end in mind, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, I think you had, you had something to add here. Will and Chris, you guys have any thoughts before we move on? I mean, the same thing we were talking about diversifying services, it's the same thing with the marketing. So you're going to find synergy. Like, so it, again, so say, hey, I'm going to invest in a digital marketing and that's going to be the thing that we're going to uh, start to understand better, perform better at uh, until I reach a point of diminishing return, then I'm going to stack traditional mail. And then so what we what we will hear is our you know, someone's going to see our mail pieces and see our mail pieces and see our mail pieces. And then they're like, you know what? I need painting. And they don't immediately think of the mail piece, but they search, you know, residential painter near me. And they're like, oh, that's the, that's the company because they've seen that 13 times in their mailbox. Right. So that's where they start to, to work together. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with the idea of like stacking. So it's like, Hey, we're going to pick one. And we're going to maximize our efforts or our results with that. And then we're going to stack another and say, oh, maybe this one doesn't work. And then we'll find another and, until we find the right combination. And we're going to reevaluate that. Instantly. But um, the same thing with services is like the dangerous thing about when you become an entrepreneur, you do have that freedom. So then all of a sudden it's like I could do a lawn care company and I could do a roofing company and I could do a gutter company. And it's like and, and it could work. But it's like we got to like build off if painting is what you do, it's what you love and it's what you're good at. Do that for a really long time and, and evaluate opportunities as they come. And if your Will Reyes and a, a gutter company makes sense 
And, and you make that decision and you, again, like you have to believe is like, this is right. And I'm going to stick to this and I'm gonna do it a long time. And I'm going to stack it onto this other thing I've been doing a long time. The problem is, is like people start to like, just have this vast amount of opportunity and they lose focus on the thing that got them to there in the first place. So it's like, focus, make that painting business really, really work and then stack these up. But you got to do it over a long period of time. You got to stay focused and dedicated. Hey, Brandon, can I just uh, clarify the question? I think your question was, yeah. hey, at what point have a number of a painting company doesn't revenue? Um, can you ask the question again? I just want to clarify yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's I'm basically asking when you start, for example, you have zero money. People ask, hey, what do I do? I don't have any money to invest in marketing. I always say do things like, you know, what Mr. Paris did, door knock right? Sweat equity, do stuff that doesn't cost money. Then you start to get a little bit bigger. It's like, okay, I can start to invest into paid marketing. What should I do? Maybe you should do strategic Facebook ads, but you better actually know what you're doing. Maybe you should, but you can't all of a sudden roll out six different services. So my, my question is how should a company as they're growing be thinking about their marketing mix? You know, at what point should they maybe be doing multiple channels of marketing or would you say, Hey, if you find a channel that's working, don't ever even worry about that. That's the question. So I, all right. So just to clarify, that was your question. And I think you asked it like, what level is that going to be something uh, applicable? So um, I've always had this kind of number in my head. And for me, I think your question earlier was like, at what point is it, you know, kind of critical uh, to be a painting company? Is that correct? What was your yeah. question? So, like at what point should you, you know, not be going all in on one channel, but say, okay, we're big enough now. We need to diversify our marketing. Right. So that number for us was around a million dollars. We looked, um, and at the time, I don't remember that was, um, at the time we had looked around and we're like, Oh, we're at a position where like, we're too big that we could lose real quick. If we start doing all these traditional means of advertising and we're not small enough to where we can keep it small and keep it all kind of mentality. Like a lot of painters do, which is nothing wrong with that, but that's not what our ultimate goal was. So for us, that dollar was around a million dollars where we looked at our numbers and we're like, man, I'm big enough where I could lose everything real quick. So that's where we figured out like we had to scale. And then, you know, our big source of income was, you know, word of mouth and Sherwin Williams. You know, we were in the stores every day and basically everybody that walks that store that wanted a, um, a paint job, they got our number. And so our close ratio was really high with them. Um, so that's, that's, that answers that question. But to answer your second part, like, where do you start advertising for us? We hired somebody part-time, you know, we didn't use an aggregate company or we didn't hire a, a painting marketer. We had somebody that I knew that did it for us part-time. And then as we saw traction come with every step that she um, made for us, we eventually brought her in full-time and that's how we got that, that, that marketing in-house at full steam ahead. So that's how it worked for us. I love that. Yeah. So uh, uh, a couple points. Here, so uh, with Chris, Chris, I like what you said. So the the kind of the long tail marketing, so using a variety of different channels, when your marketing is really good, it actually starts to become kind of confusing where it came from. So that's something to be aware of what we do. You should be tracking your marketing. We always just do the most recent touch point, but brand awareness, they've gotten the, the mail 13 times and then they want to Google and because you're doing organic, you showed up, you already have planted that seed of trust uh, in their mind. Will's point about, okay, when you, when you reach a million dollars diversifying, I like the focus on the size of the business. I don't think people think about this the right way. When you're a small company, you don't really have anything to lose, right? You, you have kind of what you're doing to lose, but you haven't really built anything of value. 
So you can afford to be more aggressive. You can afford to be more targeted. Hey, this, this channel, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to be the best at it. And I'm going to make it work. When you start getting to a million and up, you have a real asset to lose. If you're all in on, let's say, pay-per-click in 12 months, 18 months ago, that became a lot more difficult for painting companies. It goes through the door, as Jason Phillips said, you know, fax machine marketing. Boy, what I wouldn't give to, to have a marketing channel as an aside, just, just show up in the middle of someone's house. But that's an aside. Fax machine marketing. You don't want to be all in on something because now you have you have real skin in the game. You're not a startup. You have a company. You have to start padding the downside more. Whereas the beginning, you can just be ruthlessly aggressive because the reality is you don't actually have anything yet. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm my approach would be a little different than than Will's. Not taking anything away from his experience, but but when we were when our company was smaller, the first thing I did was. I plastered the yards and neighborhoods with yard signs. If, if I was working in the neighborhood, everybody was going to know. Not only did they see my yard sign in the front of the house, in the back of the house, and uh, I had door hangers put on their door multiple times during a week or two week period. And in, a, in addition to that, um, I, would, I would begin uh, door hanging, you know, entire neighborhoods, or, or, you know, 5,000, 10,000 at a time. And then I would be in certain magazines. This, this was before digital marketing. So I was had some diversity, diversity in my marketing, honestly, from day one. And uh, so, I mean, I would recommend that. I was, look, my business is now putting food on the table for my family. I've got a lot at risk right now. I may not have a, bi a big business asset, but you know what I have? I have a lot of responsibilities. And I have people counting on me. And so I, I was immediately, you know, at, at least two significant lead sources with door hangers and, uh, and magazines at that time. So I, I just, I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket. I did not, I didn't, I want to do that. And, and, and for instance, if, if I was getting a lot from the paint stores, which I did get some leads from the paint stores, but what's to say that, a new manager doesn't pop in and take over that store and all of a sudden he doesn't like you. Or Sherwin-Williams just implements a new corporate policy that they can't recommend anyone in particular because that's going to offend the other clients of theirs. You know corporate does this kind of stuff. So why would we, you know, let's take it while it's good, but let's not count on that for, our, for, for putting food on the table for our families. Sure. And yeah, some, a lot of this stuff will be personality and business dependent. You know, there's not one path to success. We've all succeeded different ways. Uh, if you want to see what the painter marketing pros, what we recommend for 2024, again, we do have that uh, marketing roadmap. Uh, we're going to put the link in there again. You can get that for free for attending. Thank you for attending. Uh, I do want to introduce Juan. So Juan Vasquez, he is, has been at a Sherwin-Williams event speaking. Uh, he goes and does frequent speaking engagements for Sherwin-Williams. He is the owner of Illusions Painting uh, out in California. He's on the road all the time, so it was a little bit late, but really honored that you joined us. What's going on, Juan? Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah, no, I'm in Denver, Colorado, man. It's cold out here, different than California, but I am so excited to finally get in here. Uh, I keep saying I'm a painter, not a technician, so I couldn't get into this group, but thank you so much for having me, man. I'm just listening to what you guys are having, so so happy to be here, man. What's up, guys? Nice to see you all. What's up, Juan? Yeah. Good to see you, man. Uh, Juan, we launched... Uh, you know, we've been planning, promoting this for two weeks, had over 200 registrants launched, and then uh, it, it didn't go anywhere. It wasn't yeah, well, in Facebook. We had two people in, so the, the technical difficulties are not 
limited to just you. Don't worry. Okay. 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 That's good. Okay. That's perfect. <laughs> so bad. No, hey, you know, we're good. That's what matters, right? Yeah. We're here now. Um, Thank you, so, so someone did put, put in a question. I want to start fielding a couple of these questions uh, since I've been kind of neglecting them so far and I encourage them. So John Ray asked, this was back when we were talking uh, more about the economy, whether it's going to be downturn, upturn, whatever. Interior painting is more of a luxury, but exterior painting is maintenance and not as affected by a down economy right. What do you guys think about interior versus exterior? Hmm. Hmm. You got it, man. I think, again, this comes back, yeah, this comes back to behaviors based on perception. So if, the, if buyers, consumers perceive uh a down economy and they need to tighten down on their spending. I think that the people aren't going to just start painting their houses, right? What they'll do is they'll extend the timelines of when they paint. So they'll extend their maintenance cycles. You'll see this from property management groups as well. So, so yes, I think that you may see, so the, the homes need uh, protected through these architectural coatings, but I think people will extend them and let it go a little further. And I think that, again, you have different emotional drivers for interior or versus exterior. It's just, again, that depending on what type of strategy you want to deploy. Hey, Chris, what happens when they when they wait a little too long to get their painting done? Yeah, it becomes more expensive because now they're doing repairs. Exactly. <laughs> Especially so in Indiana. So, again, and that's what I'm saying. If I'm on a market and I'm going to – I could choose that that's my strategy as I'm on the market is like do not delay – the maintenance of the of these coatings make sure you're painting every you know five to seven ten years or you're going to have a more expensive painting job when we have to come out and repair the wood or you could decide hey we're going to focus on interiors because pe people are going out less spending less in restaurants spending less at the movies shopping whatever and for a low cost they can enhance the space that they're going to be in a lot it all just depends again on your company and what you want to focus on if i if i can add to these guys, um, so as you guys know, my niche and where we are in our company, it's more of a high-end uh, residential. And most of these high-end, like most of the, my clients don't even live in the house. So they'll come and visit this house once or twice a year, okay? And you're talking about a few million dollar home. So our approach is different. So like he says, is um, yeah, it's, it's a luxury, but at the end of the day, can we promote maintenance? So little maintenance is going to keep us afloat as opposed to just having to do a whole repaint and for our business we really focus on really educating our clients on maintenance why we do maintenance when you talk to your regular homeowner about maintenance they're like why it's not a car but just like jason said you know there is maintenance especially nowadays we we really emphasis on like some of our new coatings they don't last as much as they used to in the past why? Because all the regulations. I mean, we're in California. So it's, it's how you sell your business as well, too. So it's just not the market, but it's how can we strategize to, to do that? Wouldn't you guys agree? Absolutely. Completely. Mm -hmm. So another question we have is... I, my life goal is to be one of your customers, Juan. <laughs> Please. Well, well, I'm going to be giving you my money pretty soon. <laughs> Hold on. I, I just want a uh, $2 million house that I casually visit twice a year. <laughs> Quan, what is the, uh, what's the highest ticket paint project you've ever conducted? Ouch. Uh, we we're just talking about that. Um, last year, uh, residential home, about 8,000 square feet. 
uh, full repaint, 1.1 mil. 1.1 Just the house that someone just comes and visits uh, probably once or twice a year. So um, we're in the wrong business, guys. <laughs> <laughs> are they running a painting company or are they yeah. running something? I don't think we're in the wrong business. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Must be, a mar must be a marketing company. Probably a marketing company. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where the money's at. Not the painters. Right? Yeah. So so for us, but it's, it's the same thing as commercial. You know, I mean, if you guys get a, a $2 million project for commercial, you know, big commercial, same thing too. I mean, but we're there for about a year and a half. Uh, the skill of our labor has to be higher. It's There's a lot more to it. So it's, it's it, it gets a little complicated. It took us a few years to get to this point, and it's very hard to maintain the quality, especially when you start growing. So we have a, another question. You know, some people experienced a, a little bit of a downturn this year. It was definitely a bit harder, I think, across the board than last year. What percentage are you guys, I think they're saying down, from last year at this time, we were about 15% down in gross revenue. Have you guys noticed uh, a little bit of an uphill battle this year at all? Mm -hmm. We're actually up about 40%. That'll make, that, that'll make <laughs> this person feel very good. <laughs> well, no, it's not that. I, I mean, we hear all that. I, I keep. I'm, yeah. I'm starting to hear more on the uh, the new construction that it, it is slowing down, but uh, it hasn't happened for us. Hmm. Okay, this is a, kind of an interesting question. I'm just going to read this uh, for the commercial guys. I have seen many asking about getting into residential lately. Is there a concern when physical office locations become more and more obsolete in the years ahead? with COVID fast forwarding the non-commute work workforce and companies like Amazon shutting down the town malls. No, I'm not sure I entirely understand it. Not. So no, no. Okay. Do you understand the question? I'm not sure I fully understand it. Yeah. He's saying what? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if the person asking the question understands the question, right? So do, what happens to this real estate? Does it just disappear? Okay. No, it gets repurposed, right? You still have acres and acres and acres of substrates in each, each metro area, which require a coating to be maintained. Now, who is going to apply that coating? Exactly. That, and who's going to facilitate <laughs> that transaction? Right? It's very tough. No one, no one here has grown a, an entity that can handle, you know, a small fraction of it yet. Right. And that's like, the, the answer is, I don't know who's going to do it. Right now, it's chucking the trucks. Mm. Right now, it's anyone that can pick up a paintbrush because the professionalized companies cannot service that demand. There's too much of it. Right. And so that's the kind of the, the answer is no, that's not an issue. Uh, and it's also like, and that is actually, I'm going to be not grumpy. I'm just going to say it, it was a good question. Thank you, Mr. Paris. What, I, what I've learned from you guys, and honestly, um, and keep in listening, is I've learned that if you put all your eggs in one basket, you're gonna have issues. So I've learned from you know from Jason, uh, from all of you guys, diversify. So if one department of our industry is slowing down, you have another one that's gonna help you. So you know we gotta be smart. The market is going to do what it's going to do, but how do we prepare ourselves for that? I think that's the most important part. That's what I've learned. Or, so I, I think I, I think Brandon, what I like to do is just be contrarian. I don't care what people say; I just like to argue with it. <laughs> you could say, fully agree with it. You're diversifying, specializing. Yeah, back to that point. I mean, if the, the focus is 
Yeah, there's so much thing about residential repaint. Things have to go pretty bad, like pretty dang bad to actually affect. I mean, your worst case scenario right now, it's like, oh no, there's a headwind. Interest rates are an all time high. Inflation's at an all time high, right? Consumer confidence is at an all time low, relatively within the last time period window. It costs more for lead acquisition. Oh no. Right now, if you're, but then you also have this push. So it's not just the pull, you get to push labor down because it's harder for everybody. So it doesn't really matter. Right? Your profits are the same. That's what it's like. I don't know. Now, if Juan had said you should specialize, I would say, you know what's better than specialization? Diversifying. So don't take anything I say too seriously. I think I've lost that. <laughs> Chris, you had some thoughts here? <clears throat> yeah, I was just going to go back to that question. As far as, I mean, there's so many different verticals within commercial painting. So like, obviously like I wouldn't focus your efforts, uh, around office painting. Um, but because, but like what Jason said, they're going to repurpose those spaces. So somebody's going to end up painting them. And even if they sit, eventually they're going to be painted, but, um, there's a lot more, uh, verticals and areas to focus than just offices. So, um, that is just, you know, we're in the commercial space. That's not a focus of ours. Yeah. So Janelle from the PCA headquarters is here. What's going on, Janelle? She asked, I think this was related to the opportunity cost that Mr. Paris was speaking about. Does anyone else think they've planned too conservatively in the past? Is that any, anything you guys have, have ever done, kicked yourself for, or, or have you guys not experienced that? I usually get in trouble because I don't know my limits. So no, it's not. Young Juan is a renegade. <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we're we're entrepreneurs. You know, we don't we don't try to be conservative. We go for it. Yeah. This okay, I've certainly had years where we've had to recut the budget to take advantage of the opportunity that we didn't foresee. Right. So maybe you plan for X amount of growth, but then you're kind of in the middle of Q2. And you're like, wow, we are going to blow, we're trending to blow that out of the water. We should actually up the ante. And you say, well, what if I had umped the ante up back in January? Right? So I'd say that certainly happened. Now, it's hard to look back and say that our growth plans weren't as aggressive when you look at the results. But yeah, I think that's a real thing that's underappreciated is that you can be too conservative and you lose out on that opportunity cost, especially when there's a, a strong tailwind that doesn't sustain itself for the long term. Those are the moments when you pounce. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great painting. Something very similar here made a comment. We don't market and have stayed plenty busy, but I think it's about time to start. Yeah. If you, if you're staying really busy or you're scheduled way out and you don't market, it's probably about time to increase your workforce and start marketing. If you want to scale your business. So that's what ends up happening here. Yelp. And up your prices and charge, man. and charge more. Yeah. Reduce your close rate, increase your profit margin. Revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. So we made another comment, word of more, word of mouth, excuse me, Mr. Paris, leave it alone. And return work are our bread and butter every winter. I think this idea of is underutilized. I know Brandon Lewis talks a lot about it, about it's called database reactivation, but reaching out to your past customers, getting repeat referral. One of you guys mentioned referral. Chris, Chris, it might've been you. Which of you has a an active referral program, like something very intentional? And would you be willing to share the details? Chris, you, you said, yeah, we, 
we, yeah, we change. Yeah, we change ours. So again, just like any of our, of our other marketing efforts, um, we test it, put it out there, see see how the uh, response or the result is, and then um, and so just like like the way we consume content, right? It's like we consume, we read it, we hear it through a podcast, we engage <laughs> through groups, like whatever. Uh, it's the same thing. It's like so we we may send out a referral program, we may leave something. So like we may finish a job, leave a coffee cup. Inside the coffee cup is a referral card. Refer a friend, and you get or friend or family member, you get what an X amount gift card, whatever, then we may use our hatch campaigns, like a text campaign to send out referral offers through text. And then we may incorporate it into our email marketing campaign. So we're constantly uh, putting it out in different methods or through different method methods and through different offers and then measuring the results and making adjustments accordingly. Does that, does that answer the question? Yeah, that's great, man. Yep. Jason. I, 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 I don't like to, have an ask without a give so like even like like we like to give a coffee cup or a tumbler and and then tie in the ask with <laughs> that's so, awesome. yeah that's so good and something physical too just for you guys even though we run a digital marketing company i know the idea of direct mail door hangers is brought up <laughs> we got uh mr will reyes showing the, the tumbler no, the only thing i have to ask there will is your friendship there you go chris so it's there's a lot of power because we all get hit with direct mail we all, we all get hit with all this digital stuff and ads. There's a lot of power in something that people can hold. So something physical. So don't sleep on that. Jason, you had a comment? Well, I'm, yeah. Can we back up one subject for a second? You said something and, and um, I'm going to, I'm going li to let Paris be the contrarian. And uh, he's, he's got some pent up anger. I think he needs to get out and I'm enjoying he watching that. Comes on to this but, <laughs> but, but I think he you, listens to Rocky you, before. Or something. You, you said, know. you said something that, that is a trigger of mine and you said raise your prices and reduce your closing rate those two things okay your closing rate does does not have to be inversely proportional to your price you can raise both yeah. or you could raise your one without changing the other it's all right here well, it's, it's significantly right here. It's not all right there, but you can raise both of those. And if you think, well, if I raise my prices, I'm going to, I'm going to get less jobs. I won't sell anything. Well, if that's the way you believe, well, guess what? That's what you're going to get. But I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that way. Jason, how much did I just let you down? You know, you addressed this exact thing at Contractor Freedom Summit. Joe, your, your sales trainer got up there, trained everybody how to do it. And then I just come on and say the exact opposite. I Such a disappointment. Such a sorry, Dad. Will is there. Will knows. Such a disappointment. I, uh, I'm disappointed for you, Jason. <laughs> I mean, Brandon's I, making me invited. feel like a failure here. Okay. Yeah. I'm never How invited. dare yeah. you do that to Dad? How dare you? <laughs> Nerve. Paris. I, I love. Dare you? I love that point, and, and and they obviously are not mutually exclusive, but. Um, Jason, can you give a couple points on how you would do that? Uh, how a contractor would raise their price and uh, maintain well, or, or increase their closing percentage or success rate? Well, if you have a, if you, okay, practically, if you actually have a system that, that <clears throat> your guy, if you have salespeople, you simply go in there and say, I'm going to change this price. And now all of a sudden the price is going up. Now, if you're, if you're just bidding stuff out of your head, you're going to have to do it a little different. And and Chris, to, to clarify for everyone, just to make sure this is crystal clear, because I might not have caught that. What Jason's saying is you would go in and adjust the price and the people selling it don't even know. 
Don't even know. So it's not it's not in their head. Or whether you tell them or you don't tell them, but but no, that's that's true. I've do, I've done that before many times, Brandon. Uh, but most people in this business think they're selling. They're just estimating, and they're just order takers. They're not students of sales or understand the the psychology of selling or any of that stuff. And they even fewer have have a systematic approach to selling. So you can raise your price and your closing rate and still have the, probably even have happier customers than you have now. How about that? Who wins? Everybody wins. I think to Jason's point, a lot of these estimators think they're really, really good when they promise the world and charge a little. I could give my nine-year-old daughter with her Dora Explorer backpack a bunch of proposals, <laughs> and if she did that, she'd close 35%. The skill of sales that Jason's trying to differentiate is when you promise a little and you charge a lot for it. That is a talented sales rep, right? That is where you prove your worth. You can have a high SR, you're not charging very much, and you're promising the world. Congratulations on one metric that if you're in an unsophisticated business, people pat you on the back, I guess. Right. What ultimately matters is the profit. Right. So I, I have some thoughts here, but I want to dig into this because probably a lot of people are wondering about this. So how would you, how could you go in just a couple examples? We're not going to do a whole sales tutorial here, but promise a little charge above market rates and expect to have a high close rate. What are some, some ways or maneuvers or, or strategies you're trying to employ to make that work? I mean, I think that to, to, to promise a little and sell a lot, I think it comes a back to that understanding your value proposition and be able to deliver on it. It's mm -hmm. like we do these three things really, really well, and we consistently deliver on those three things. Um, I think is one great strategy there. Well, I think a lot of people pay a premium for trust. Actually, this goes all the way up to like the investor level mindset. Right? People will pay a premium for an asset when it has a stability and there's trust that it is a stable stream of income it is a high multiple. If you want to buy the land that is under a CVS, why there's a lot of trust that will deliver a return. Okay. If you're going to buy uh, a painting company that's run by an owner operator, you're not going to pay a whole lot for that because it's very unstable, right? The odds that as an investor, it's going to deliver a return to you year after year is very, very low. And so as a homeowner, you know, how do you increase that multiple or how do you increase that rate of charge for your promises? You ultimately, they will need to pay a multiple on the trust. So if it's a high likelihood that you're going to deliver this contract, that I would pay a premium for. I would just speak to myself as a buyer. I own a house. If somebody comes to me and I'm like, you know, I have two options. One of them, I feel very secure that I'm going to be delivered what they promise they're going to deliver. The other it's 50, 50, how much of an upcharge I'm willing to pay is a little bit preference, but that upcharge is there. That's the skill. I think ultimately, if you're going to try and boil it down to of sales. Yeah. And that's that's the currency of business. Yeah. And that's just not going to be just your salesperson, right? It's going to be the company. It's as a unit. So that's what we are experiencing right now because, you know, in the past we had to be competitive. We had to be competitive. It's come to the point where like, it's not that we're not competitive, but we're setting our price and we're setting, you know, Illusions is going to come and paint this. And then now we turn around and we're giving the same, uh, not the same uh, treatment, but the way we present it, the way we present ourselves to the job and everything, 
but we're still painting the same walls that someone else would charge probably half of that price, you know? But it's because we built that, you know, I guess it's, it's just in the backside where you build, you know, that value to the company. So then you're just selling that value at the end. Is that, I mean, it's, I mean am I getting that right? Or There's Yeah, also I would absolutely agree. I, I think it's it's building that trust, but I think it's also building that experience. Like when you can provide an experience for your customers, I think that that's adding a lot of value too. I'm, I'm with you on too. Like we, we get um, jobs where we're bidding, you know, we've, we've done one as much as $7,000 more than our competitors mm -hmm. and people are willing to, to pay that price because we provide a good experience and our company is like, we're reputable. Like we build that trust. But I think that both of those, when you have those combined with the sales, I think that that adds that value. Yeah. I think, uh, there's this tendency, there's this compulsion, especially for younger um, entrepreneurs who are earlier in their journey to feel like they need to promise the moon to close the deal. And it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. If it seems too good to be true, then it probably is. And you actually lose trust. You actually hurt your sales effort. Like well, we're paying marketing pros. A lot of our sales process is actually expectation setting and actually reducing expectations saying, here's what we do. Well, if you're looking for a bazillion leads next month, don't move forward with us because it's going to be a disappointment for you. Right. We're competing against companies that are saying, you know, they'll, they'll change everything for you. But those companies aren't believed because it's probably not real. When you're working with a homeowner, it might be a normal 4,000, 6,000, 10,000 project for you. That might be normal for the homeowner. It's probably a pretty big ticket item for them. They're not spending 5,000 plus every day on their home. What do they care about? They care about knowing you're going to stand behind the work. The experience is going to be good. You're not going to steal their stuff. You're going to be respectful of their family. If they have kids, you're going to not mess up the nap time. If there's an issue, you're going to make it right. So go in, don't, don't promise the world, but just show you're going to have a super solid experience and you can charge more and still close high. Now I don't run a painting company, so that might be wrong, but that's my understanding of it. Yeah. We're not selling a paint job. We're selling an experience. Remember that <laughs> I've learned that. <laughs> yeah. no, that's so true. Jose is the one that really helped me. You know, my, bro, uh, my business partner, Jose is the one that, really really set those things on me i i'm too soft i'm like i want to do this more and more it's like you don't have to they're paying us for a service so do the minimum and you just you very specific and it works in the beginning i didn't i didn't trust them but it really really works setting you know, those low expectations a, a couple of things i might my, my notes i might make <clears throat> one is when we talk about customer experience it's not like we're taking them to a carnival and we're going to entertain our customer. Our customer really doesn't even want us at their house. They want their or they or their or their business. They want their home renewed and restored. They want this beautiful new kitchen or bedroom or their exterior repaired and they want us out of there. So the more frictionless we can make it and almost in a way become invisible is going to be the best experience for them. And it's really not that hard to stand out in our industry, at least in my part of the world, because, because the service, the, ex the experience is, is remarkable in a negative way most of the time. I want it to be remarkable in a positive way m most of the time. All, every time is what I really want, right? And so I think we need to, you know, what is customer experience? I think we need to, go, we, we need to wrap our minds around that. Only Grayson can somehow make make saying a train wreck sound positive. It is remarkable in a negative way. 
This is a good a good related question uh, from John. What's going on, John? What is one of the limiting beliefs or personal hurdles that each of you are currently working on? Love mm. to hear from a couple of you guys on that. Well, I mean, if I start, uh, for me, it's like uh, I, I feel that we've, we 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 are a point in our business on on the side of the business where we feel accomplished. Now, my hurdle is how can I grow and how can I add more to my business? You know, and my limiting belief is that, well, I just don't know how, you know, and it's my limiting belief. And I don't think that it's I know it's possible. I just don't know how. But basically, that's what we're working on. How do we learn us? How do we educate ourselves to make our business grow? Because the business is not going to grow itself. That's where I'm at personally right now. I think there's a lot of guys where you're at, Juan. Maybe maybe not dealing with the type of pro the amazing projects that you do. <laughs> but it's still the same, but, right? But we get in there, and and our hard work gets us to this level of success but but that's not scalable and and most guys don't know how to take it to the next level and so it really comes down to learning new skills and, and learning skills how to reach out and how to get out of your comfort zone i think that's the 100%. biggest limiting belief is is your comfort zone get out of there and greater things will come on the other you side. Got, you can always come back to your comfort zone people skills business skills are absolutely vital and so many people that get into this in industry start with widget skills or craftsman skills and i'm not downplaying those by any means those are vital but to take it to the next level it's going to come down to really it's going to come down to personal growth and leadership and <clears throat> excuse me paris said this earlier and you know john maxwell says this it's the law of the lid the the lid on our businesses every one of us is us is us we are the lid on our businesses there's no there's no limit to the amount of painting work that needs to be done out there that's true we could 10x our companies we could that is i think um go ahead go ahead no i'm good i think with a group of people like this the the term limiting belief doesn't pertain to people like this but I think personal hurdles really uh, pertain to a group like this, because I think if any of us had any real limiting beliefs, we wouldn't be where we're at today. You know, I think I look everybody on this panel here and go, none of these guys have limiting beliefs. They just have hurdles they got to get over. And my personal hurdle is, you know, getting out of my own way, because like I was, you know, like you said, a craftsman, I started out as a painter. I wasn't a business person. I had no clues about budgets or, you know, I knew to pick up the paint, go to the house, put the, the paint in the house collect the money, pay everybody and keep the rest. That's all I knew. And it took time. Go ahead, Jason. Okay. So Will, but here's, maybe you didn't deal with this one in particular, but I know there's a lot of guys that do. You start your company and you're a craftsman like you. Well, gosh, I can't let anybody else do this painting. They can't paint as good as me. <laughs> that is a limiting belief. That is a very, yeah. Nobody yeah, can a, do it as good as me. Nobody can manage these projects. Nobody can run the schedule. Nobody can do the sales. And you and those limiting beliefs build a prison right around you. Yep. Nobody will be able to close the way that I close, right? Sales will dive off a cliff. That's very true. Uh, someone asked, they said, trying to wrap my head around what Juan said, 1 million plus on a project. Did he say that was residential? Yes. Juan is a, a bad behind. 
uh, <laughs> we've just been we've just been busting our behind for for a couple of years and we had a target you know that's something that um that we you know we've learned from sitting in, in some of these uh conferences and sitting around with you know people like you guys uh to just understand that you you have to like be the one like you have to like be the one that everybody wants to hire and more than anything we really focus on one niche of the of the business and we really had to be very uh like focus because it's so easy to get out of it and be like oh i'm just gonna try this oh i'm just gonna try that because that was me but then i understood that if i didn't focus and i did not stay just just center on what i wanted then we will never get to where we want to be you know and that concentration that putting everything but you really understand that behind that there's a lot of people making this happen it wasn't just me it's from my crew leaders to a project manager to the person who answers the phone. It's just, it's everybody has to be in the same page to get there. And it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be a million dollar home. It doesn't have to be anything. It just has to be reaching your goal. I think that was the hardest part to do. Yeah. Land that kind of a project, you really do have to be a specialist and respected as one. John Ray asked, what percentage of revenue spent on marketing is healthy? I always say three to 5% for conservative, uh, seven to 10 for sustainability, 12 to 15 for aggressive growth. Do you guys have different numbers that you want to share? I think it's so, it's so hard to silo in on that number. I think what you should be looking at is your cost on margin. Cause you can have a really sexy marketing spend number and it just tanks your SR and you spend a lot on sales. Right, because you're getting low quality leads with small average job sizes, or you may have a really disgusting looking marketing number that's so high, but guess what? They're high average job sizes, and you're selling them at a very high clip, so you're not paying as much on the sales end. So you combine those together. It's ultimately what does it cost for you to acquire margin, and and are you selling profitable jobs? That's the other part of it. Like, are you marketing and getting profitable jobs or jobs that don't fit your niche? I think 35% cost on margin margin. That's one of the pillars of stability that we focus on when we when we work with companies. What is the cost on margin? And can you have that at 35% or below to build a sustainable future? So I think I think marketing is a fun thing to look at. I just I feel like you can juice that number to the detriment of the rest of the business. Yeah, yeah look looking at the business as a whole. Someone said, can reactivation campaigns be sent out too much via text or email? Be harmful yeah you and i just can... want to keep ranting at you brandon i'd also say it depends on if you're in growth mode or sustaining mode yeah if you want to buy market share that's going to cost more than if you're looking to sustain right we've got a company that we're talking to today they've been in the chicago market for 50 years they spent ten thousand dollars to sell 2.2 million last year wow. right but now we're saying trying to build a business model what if we want to go from 2.2 to 5 in the next two years that's going to cost money to acquire market share. Your marketing spend is not going to be in the in the decimal places anymore. So just, there's a lot that goes more than that start talking percentages that you got to wrap your head around. What was that, Brandon? They should not spend any more than twenty five thousand. Well, that would be flawed thinking per capita. Yeah. Hmm. See, I'm so new to all these uh, advertisement, like just like you guys did our has been so organic and it's just the type of clients we deal with 
um, they don't really go after advertisement. They go more of value in, in knowing that you are the right person and the right connections. That That's how my market runs. But now we are trying to make a jump into the residential repaint. And now that's where I see that we are definitely going to have to. That's what I'm learning now, how I can use that market dollars and where I need to use them and, and what I'm going to get in return. So this is all new to us. But it is, you know, even though it's painting, it's just a whole different aspect that we have to learn now. So it's just going to change depending on where you are, either on the market or on the or on your business, like Jason said. So with this reactivation campaign question that was asked, uh, my feedback would be, yes, you can spam people. But that in general, painters are far too hesitant, give up far too quickly. Uh, and they, they think they didn't hear back in a day or two. So okay, the homeowner doesn't want to complete the project where actually maybe they didn't select anybody. What are your thoughts on on this? I mean, is the question, can it ever be sent out too much? Yes. Of course, yeah. Of course there's a you, you send 10 texts a day, you are going to have some. So like, the question is, can it be sent out too much? I think so. I think it can. Obviously, like if you text someone every 10 minutes. But it's saying like, if I start texting and emailing people, is it going to be harmful? No. If one person gets upset in your 2000 person client list, is that harmful when it generates a hundred thousand dollars of revenue? Mm, I guess yeah. probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur if that's harmful for you. And most people aren't. That's, that's the, that's like the thing of why this question comes up. It's like, well, shoot, I can't stomach that. I'm like, maybe you shouldn't be running a company. That is such a good point. Like, uh, Mr. Paris, you said you were making jokes, but they're jokes based in truth that sometimes people would, would send you mean emails or something, you know, because of something you said on the podcast. We all get that, right? I, I sent out to everyone on our list. I sent a text and an email an hour before they started. Hey, you know, we're about to start. You think I don't get any pushback from that at all? No, I've gotten some messages that weren't very nice. But then I get a whole lot of messages like, hey, thanks for the heads up. Looking forward to it. Or, hey, that was a great panel. You are going to get people who get mad at you or who say bad things to you. And if you can't handle that, yeah, this entrepreneurship game may not be for you. No, it's a fair, it's a fair question. It's probably part of this, the question is probably saying, hey, someone who's done this before, what can I expect, you know, going around the corner, trying to see through the fog? And the general ethos would be, yes, the juice is worth the squeeze, but you have to have the stomach for it. Very true. This was a, a question here for, I'd say, Corey. Uh, I'd like to hear about the kitchen cabinet. Where's the future with that? My experience is the margins are the best in that category. And following up, uh, someone else asked interior, exterior, kitchen cabinet, which, which do you guys really think is the best to go into? I'd like to hear about kitchen cabinets. Where, where is the future with that? My experience. Um, okay. So we're, we're working on, you know, the future of it because I, I was talking with Denny Johns about that um, actually not too long ago. And he said, you know, history is, it, it always tends to repeat itself. And the same thing happened in the seventies, you know, where kitchen cabinet was all the rage. Like it's really ramped up the last, especially the last five years where everybody wants their kitchen cabinets painted. Same thing happened in the seventies. And then the, the quality of the paint jobs was really bad. And then it got to a point where everybody, like the paint was deteriorating and it needed to be repainted again. And, um, and, you know, we're starting to see that trend now too, like where we're having to go in and redo a lot of kitchen cabinet uh, jobs that were just done so horrifically. Um, and so 
when they're not done well, uh, you know, the trend is, you know, people probably, it, it's going to get a bad name uh, down, down the road. Uh, so how do we combat that? Well, you know, we're looking into refacing and, and, you know, how, how can we reface kitchen cabinets and how can we give them a new look and, and, um, you know, what, what's going to be the newest trend. Um, so, you know, our, our objective for, for our kitchen cabinet refinishing business is just to maintain the high quality so that when people do need their cabinets done well or redone, they're calling us. Um, and also giving them that alternative with the <clears throat> option and just, you know, putting new things on and, and refacing those boxes and giving them a more cost-effective option than completely uh, re-gutting their whole kitchen. So, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to the future in that, um, you know, we're starting to see that trend, you know, where people are needing, we're, we're, we actually just have a kitchen in our shop that, you know, they, their kitchen was done four years ago and it has to be all redone. Um, so, you know, we're starting to see that trend. Corey, I, I have a question uh, for you that may tie in well with the uh, economy uh, questions that we've had is, so like uh, looking into the future with kitchen cabinets and so every, you know, history repeats itself. So the trend will change, wood finishes will come back. I think yeah. on the manufacturing side, they've already started the show, yeah. which is typically like a predictive indicator of what's to come. Mm -hmm. You know, so in five to yeah. 10 years, like the uh, trend will be wood finishes. How are you planning for that? And is it a similar approach to like what we what has been the theme of this conversation is just like, hey, like even in a downturn, like there the, the market's still going to be there because it's such an underserved, you know, market. Do you? How, how are you taking that in account with your business since you're uh, specialized in, in the kitchen cabinets? Yeah, so so we've actually just talked where we work with the uh, Keystone Wood, Wood Specialties. Uh, they're based in Lancaster. And so we're, we're looking at the refacing option. So we can actually do wood finishes, like new wood finishes. We can change maple kitchens into white oak. You know, we can order new doors, we can order new white oak doors, and then we can order a new white oak, um, like it's, it's almost like a, a laminate peel um, that we just, we cut and we can reface those kitchens to look just like white oak. So we're, we're on, uh, we, we understand that trend and we're already doing that research and, and you know, we've already implemented the new doors uh, into our kitchens. Um, so we're well on our way there. And now we're just uh, in that refacing, you know, we're putting new end panels on, things like that. So now we can just adjust and move with the trends. Like, uh, I think as entrepreneurs, we've always got to be thinking about, okay, where's this trend heading? How are we preparing for it? How are we moving forward? And how is our business going to thrive through these changes? And so that's, that's what we've been looking into this year, uh, launching 2024. That's yeah, great, great answer. And it, it is, it's a, it's a challenge as an entrepreneur or business owner, we are tasked with the, uh, uh, having to you know, be able to see the future, right, right. To some regard. And I think that's so awesome that you're already ahead of that curve and, and looking into the future and, and making the appropriate adjustments, which I think ties in really well to this conversations. So good as you, Corey, that's awesome. Can, can, can I plug in a little bit on that? Absolutely so is, is something that I sorry something, something <laughs> that I I've done for quite some time like that um 
what we see in our in our area is that it is extremely expensive to redo your kitchen, to buy new cabinets, and and so on. Right? I can I can refinish your cabinets for a fraction of the price of you um, uh, changing them. We usually had oak, uh, cherry, and those types of woods. So they just want to go away from those textures. They want to go away from the reds and those colors. So it's really great what Corey says here because now the fact that you can just go buy cabinet doors for cheaper than that and you put a new cabinet in front of it and the structure is well and stuff. I mean, my margins have been more than 50, 55 percent, you know, profit on those. And, you know, cabinets are just a very good if you want to get into a, in the painting. I suggest refinish cabinets is it's a very, very lucrative uh, part of the business. Um, we do that, too. And to me, I see most of my gains is in that. So there's many ways. There's so many different things out there that you can do now. So um, and one thing that I do recommend for anyone who's getting into this, look into a cabinet finished product. Don't use paint. Don't use wall paint because that's going to really diminish your value and your expertise. So that is, for me, use the best product you can because that is going to give you more money in the future. Yeah, I was absolutely going to piggyback on that because that's like if you're looking for sustainability in a cabinet refinishing business, you've got to use great products. Yes. Like because like I said, we're going back and we're redoing all of these hack jobs that people just they're not educated. They don't know what products to use. Um, you know, I think that it's so so important that if you're looking for the sustainability of a cabinet refinishing business, that you're using quality products. Yes. And then yeah, I, I just, I think that that's so essential. So we have uh, about 10 minutes left. We, we launched a little bit late in the Facebook groups. So we might go a couple minutes over if you guys are okay with that. I do want to make sure we cover at least all the main points that I listed in the event description. We did cover marketing channels, 2024 economic pre uh, predictions, how to offset inflationary costs, how to, how to improve your margin with a better sales process, things like that. Well, we haven't covered at all. Uh, so if I could just quickly get some thoughts from you guys, is it effective hiring techniques? So, you know, how should people be thinking about hiring and building their team, both from a painter and from an overhead perspective or from more project manager, you know, how, however big their company is, how should they be thinking about talent acquisition in 2024? Can I, my, my uh, thoughts on hiring is always like, it, it needs to be a high level of consistency. So maybe you're not always hiring, but you should always be doing hiring activities um and you know maintaining your reputation like we said not only do we need to be attractive for our customers we need to be attractive for the people we are seeking to uh potentially hire and then have uh great great systems great uh hiring onboarding um and you know retention systems so the greatest way to build your culture if you have a great culture is off the people in your culture so um you know that ties well into like the referral conversation that we are having. So just like we're looking for referral, if we have a lot of great customers, it'd be great if we could build off those customers. If we have really great people, it'd be great if we could build off of those people. See, for us, I understood that um, in order to hire great help or, or to do that, you have to bring value as well. So don't expect to be a mediocre uh, company and attract great talent. You know, you got to set that platform and then the good ones are going to follow. 
that really that model really has helped us because uh, we want to lay down a a path for success for them. You have to, and those are the good guys we want to have. And understand that these guys are not going to be you're not they're going to be with you maybe for four or five years. And if you don't build something more for them, they're going to go somewhere else. But we want those guys. And just like Chris said, we've learned to be you know uh, we're not hiring all the time. But our ads are there every single day. So we're scouting. If we, we always see new guys, we always see new people. If we like someone, we keep the records and we say, you know, we don't have anything right now, but let me give you a call in a week. And uh, 10 times out of 10 in a week, I have something. I'll call this person. I'm like, I am so glad I have you here because I'm not going to go find you when I need you. You're already there. Yeah. I would absolutely agree too. Like, I, I feel like good people know good people. And if in our business, we build a culture of excellence. And I think that if, if you don't have good people around you, then the first place to look is in the mirror, you know, and, and take a look at who you are and who you're attracting to you. Because I think that, like I said, good people attract good people. And then when you have that core group of people, then we, we do, uh, you know, my Tuesday crew, they've all been best friends since high school. Uh, you know, so it was just like, you know, hey, do you know anybody who would love work working with who has, you know, your work ethic? And and of course, so they all wanted to come and work with us. And and so, you know, just using your resources um, and your network. And if you've got good people, ask them if they know other good people. Yep. Love that. It's uh same same concept as customers referring you, right? Just building up a solid network. So we're going to put the the link to the Painter Marketing Pros 2024 uh, marketing roadmap in there one time, one more time in the chat. Make sure you check that out. Uh, we're also going to put a link to PCA Expo 2024. So if you haven't registered for that, everyone here is going to be there. Uh, a lot of other people are going to be there. It's going to be really phenomenal. It's actually being done even differently. So I think it's going to be the best expo yet. There's going to be tracks. It is it's really going to be a great experience. So make sure you're coming if you are having an abundance mindset, trying to grow your company. Also, I'm seeing a lot of comments that, and questions that we're just not going to be able to get to because we do need to respect everyone's time and wrap this up. So if you want to tag any individual with questions, I'm seeing a lot of specific people being called out. You can do so on the Facebook group. So we'll put that up as well. If you're not a member of that group, you can tag them and ask them. Will Reyes here has switched hats, I believe, about three or four times. And now uh, I got to give him my hat. Man. hat. <laughs> I got to send you my hat. <laughs> he has my hat, and yet I have yet to put it on his head. So I was just going to comment on that. I'm, I'm not. Well, I'm not. I don't have Brandon's hat. I don't have your hat. It was in your swag bag for Expo of this uh -oh. year. So you have. Is that the one you throw in the garbage? Come yeah. on, man. You don't do that. I didn't take a swag bag, so that's why. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll I get you a swag bag. So, I mean, I was gonna you know, cry. So we're yeah. trying to put oh, yeah, I love a hat, you know. Uh, Jason Paris, I'd love a hat. Uh, you know, That's right. you have like, one on the way, man. Juanito, por favor. Oh, man, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm nice. sending one. I'm sending two on on the way to you right now, and I'm expecting yeah. a picture too. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to thank everyone and allow me to be a part of this panel. I thought it was a fun one. I thought there was a lot of education that came through. I thought everybody here had absolute value to every second that they spoke. So it was really impressive. And thank you all for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you guys coming. Thank you so much. Uh, let, let's give, I want to give each of you an opportunity if you want to provide an ending, ending comments. Um, sorry, Mr. Paris, I don't speak that good. Uh, but I appreciate your guys' time, really value you. You are titans of the industry. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for all your attendees for coming. 
uh, carving out time. Does anyone uh, have any comments before we wrap up? Phillips? Come on, Jason. Well, you know, the, the, the title of this event was a 2024 game plan, right? So what is your game plan? Is your game plan written? Are, are you, do you have it written down? What do you want to accomplish? But more importantly, consider not just what you want to accomplish in 2024, but consider what you want to become as a company and as a business owner in 2024. And regardless of what the 2024 top line results are, if you come out of that being a better, smarter, more educated uh, entrepreneur, you're going to be better for it long term. I like that. That's very good. Yeah, see, for us, it's, we are laying down a future. So 2024 is another stepping stone that we are shooting for. Uh, there's so many things that are still unknown for us, but we have a couple things that we are going to work on. And like I said, they're not going to define a year. They're just going to make sure that we set that next step for growth. So that's what we're shooting for. So if you want to grow, just remember, it's just step at a time. You know, we're not going to conquer the world in 2024. We're just going to be one step closer. That's, that's what I'm, that's what we're shooting for us in our company. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, our, our uh, Pan American Pro COO sent me a little meme today, which I think is valuable. And it follows up with what Juan just said. Make 2024 a big year for you. It's not it's not the year. It doesn't dictate your success. Hopefully it's a good year. Hopefully you grow the bad year. Then it's a bad year. Right. The, your success. This is a very long game. Entrepreneurship mm -hmm. is a long game. So keep that in mind as you grow and as you go through the challenges and the successes. Guys, thank you so much. Really excited to see everyone in Orlando. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Brandon. You're welcome, Thank you Brandon. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Hi, guys. Hey, Thank one. you, everyone. I took two pages of notes. That was awesome. There you go. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Learning while teaching. Brandon, Brandon did not give me a chance to, to close, but that's okay. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. Chris, you're, it's you, brother. Oh, no, no, no. I just wanted to give you a hard time. It mainly. Well, just now I'd like to hear something from you. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I got something. So I, I wanted to thank you all because I literally took two pages of notes. Uh, I will be uh, revisiting this and reflecting on, on the conversation. So much good stuff. Uh, one thing I really loved is surrounding yourself with good people yeah. and, and that camaraderie and that, you know, being able to engage with your peers and, and grow from one another and the, the touch on the PCA Expo, every single person in, in this meeting I've met at the Expo and have generated some of the greatest relationships that I have. Like, it's such a powerful event and highly recommend uh, participating. Uh, you may even get two, more than two pages of notes. Uh, and then finally, as far as planning, put together a, a good annual plan but revisit it often, you know, if you run an EOS platform, 90 day, create a 90 day world for your, for your company, you know, it's easy to make a plan one year in, a, in, uh, in the future and then just lose sight of it. So plan, execute, measure, make adjustments. Um, but, you know, I think the economy matters to some, to some degree, but m what matters most is, is us and our ability to execute. I think the last thing I'd like to leave off with is, is um, it's going to suck. Things get shitty and you're going to fucking hate your life. But there's resources and there's help out there. And um, anybody on this panel is always willing to help everybody else. So if it does get shitty, reach out. There's people to help.
So, you know, there, there's resources available. I really love that. That's the one risk of something like this. Is you, I don't think we can live without Mr. Jason Perry's uh, saying a joke because I could just keep hearing all these comments and it, all I hear is like a joke, a joke, a joke. Come on, Jason. Close us out, Jason. I He's been putting right? memes the whole time. Not you guys. All right. Yeah, there you go. What did the? Sorry. Okay, I was, we'll see if we'll see if this goes live or not. If I get cut off. Why did the transgender oh. man, Brandon, always order a salad? I'm, uh. I'm gonna punt. I don't know. Because he was a her before. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's it's affirming, it's acknowledging. It's not in that case, actually. Very inclusive. Thank Very you for pushing the envelope, Jason. <laughs> That's good. Hey, that's what the, everybody was asking for. It. We gave them what they wanted. This will probably get you. This will probably get you a strike on YouTube. Actually, <laughs> amazing. Yep. And this is how uh, the Painter Market Mastermind podcast goes offline forever. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> one, one more thing. The journey is the destination. Okay. The journey is the destination. I think Jason touched on a little bit. That doesn't mean anything. I just like to say those words. Put it on a T-shirt. All right, before Jason burns it all down, guys, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for attending. And thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. Have a great one. Thanks. Thank you, Have a good one. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.